0: Well, it's been another heartbreaking week in the Twin Cities. As you are aware, Dante Wright was killed this past week, and there have been protests, and there has been riots, a lot of tension, a lot of pain, uh, a lot of hopelessness, a lot of division all around us. And there's some things that I think are important for us to remember as a church in times like these that seem to happen all too often The first and most important thing that we need to remember is that our hope is found in Jesus, that he is the source of the healing, the peace, the comfort that every single person on earth needs. We also need to remember that we are called to be Jesus's hands and feet in the world and in our community. And so you and I are called to build bridges. We're called to be instruments of peace to bring hope, to bring love into any situation we can. Now, the Bible also calls us as Christians to mourn with those who mourn. And that means when our brothers and sisters are in pain, when they are suffering, when they are hurting, it should also bring grief to us and really should drive us to our knees. And that's kind of the final thing that I think we need to remember to focus on. We need to be praying, praying a lot for everyone and for every situation. Prayer is the most powerful tool that we have. The Bible even tells us we should pray for people we don't agree with. We should pray for people we don't like. We should even pray for our enemies. And so what if instead of anger or judgment or looking down on anyone, we would just pray for them? And so I want to encourage you this week to pray for Dante Wright's family, pray for our law enforcement, pray for government officials or anyone in authority positions, pray for protesters, pray for churches. Just be people of prayer. Let's pray that God's peace and his hope is showered upon these situations and all of the brokenness around the world So we're in the second week of a series called 90,000, and as you may not have been aware before this series, you spend on average 90,000 hours at work in your lifetime, and in an average lifespan, this is about 22% of your waking hours, and so that's a lot of time, it's a lot of energy, and it's a whole lot of focus in our life. And so last week, Pastor Jason kicked off the series and he reminded us of some basic truths about work. When you look at the first pages of the Bible, Genesis 1 to 3, we start to see that God is a God who works, God creates, God forms. He even gets his hands dirty as he forms human beings and forms the earth. Now, as human beings are created, the very first blessing, the first gift, that God gives to them is the gift, the blessing of work. And it tells us that work is something that gives us purpose. Work is something that matters. Work is actually a way that we are bonded to who God is and what his character is and what his mission is. In its purest form, work gives purpose and meaning and significance. But then the fall happened when sin entered the equation, when Adam and Eve chose to disobey God. And as one of the punishments for sin, God curses the ground. But when he does that, we have to see how grace-filled this is because God deflects the curse that was rightfully meant for Adam and Eve. He deflects it onto the ground. But one of the effects of this is that work becomes impacted by it. Work became difficult. It became painful. It became misplaced. Often, work defines us, and it even consumes us, and it easily loses its rightful place and its rightful role in our lives. Now, one of the ways that I think this plays, off, com- plays out commonly in our lives today is that we can often feel like our work is pointless, and it's purposeless, and it's meaningless, and it's insignificant. It can bring us frustration and pain and disappointment. You know, you put in a long week, you put in many hours, you work super hard on a project, and you get no recognition at all from your boss or your peers. You do your best to provide the very best customer service that you can, and yet all you get is a thankless attitude or even a mean-spirited attitude from the customers. You clock in and you clock out and you wonder, what in the world are you doing day to day? Does it really matter? You know, when we feel like there's a lack of purpose, when we feel like uh, work has gotten distorted and when it's gotten misplaced, we start to feel like work is just there to get us a paycheck and nothing else. And when all of this happens, it means work has lost its proper focus. It's lost its proper place, the intent that God had for it. I remember back to the very first job that I ever had. I was 14 years old, and I worked at the state fair in the KSTP booth. Now, I love the State Fair, and so the idea of being there every day just made me so excited. But after about a day, it started to wear on me because it was super hot in the building. I was surrounded by sweaty people trying to get free stuff. And one of the roles I had was to fill up the Culligan water coolers with new five-gallon jugs of water when they were out. Now, this was kind of challenging for a very scrawny 14-year-old. And I remember at one time picking up this huge jug, and you had to kind of tip it and pour it as the water was coming out into the cooler. Well, I kind of lost grip, and I splashed water all over this middle-aged woman who started to curse me out. And it was in that moment that I started to see work maybe isn't all that I thought it was cracked up to be. And in fact, I started to wonder, is this even worth the minimum wage that I was making. Well, today, what I want you to remember, what I want you to focus on, what I want you to learn is that what you do for work matters. No matter what it is, what you do for work matters to the world, but it also matters to God. As long as your work has honesty, as long as it has legitimacy and integrity, what you do matters. Now, we find this in the book of 1 Corinthians, where Paul says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Whatever you do, whatever you're called to be, wherever you clock in, that's your Goal, your perspective should be to bring glory to God. Now, I think there are two big lies that we often buy into when it comes to work. These are easy lies to fall into. And the first one is that work is just a means to an end. I think this is the way much of our culture approaches work work is simply there to make money. It's a way to pay the bills. It's a way to maybe get some more stuff or even buy bigger toys. You know, if you would ask somebody, you know, what would you do if you won the lottery or you got a huge inheritance? Would you keep on working? I think most people would probably say, absolutely not. I would quit on that day. And that's because we often think of work as a means to an end, But you know, that's not the true intention of work. That's not what God intended it to be. God didn't create us to work, to live. No, he actually created us to live, to work. We were made by God to join him in his work, in serving, in creating shalom around the world, which is wholeness, it's peace that can only come from God We're called to help make the world into a place where God's kingdom can expand and where his kingdom can prevail. The second lie that I think we often buy into is that some work is spiritual and then the rest isn't. This is the idea that there's some jobs that are faith-filled and they're spiritual and then everything else is secular and it's just completely separated from faith and spirituality. So I'm up here teaching you the Bible today, and so obviously that's spiritual. But if somebody works as a barista at Starbucks, well, I mean, that doesn't have anything to do with faith, does it? Although I would say that a really good cappuccino can be a spiritual experience, for sure. But you see, we end up making this false divide. And we say things like, well, I'm just a salesman. I'm just a truck driver. I'm just a financial advisor. I'm just a stay-at-home mom or dad. And we can easily slip into thinking that our work doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. Or what we do is somehow less meaningful or less purposeful than what someone else does. Now, along with this, too often I think we compartmentalize our lives, And we create a bunch of different categories. Oftentimes, the way that this is presented is kind of a pie graph. I mean, just imagine a circle, a bunch of slices. And in these slices are things like our physical health, relationships with others, finances, family, work and career, spirituality. And so we have all of these different pieces of the pie. But the huge problem with this kind of thinking is that we reduce spirituality, our relationship with Jesus, to just one of the small pieces of the pie. And then our faith and our spiritual life can be checked off the list after we go to church on Sunday morning, or you know maybe we go to small group during the week. But then we go about the rest of our life. We pay our bills, we work out, we change our kids' diapers, we go and see friends, We see, there's a huge problem here because we separate Jesus from our everyday life. It keeps Sundays completely isolated from Monday through Friday and Saturday. But here's the thing, church. Jesus never intended for our faith to only matter for an hour or two a week. It's not just about going to church, maybe reading your Bible for a few moments each day, Or even attending small group weekly, our faith is meant to impact all of who we are. Our faith is meant to even impact our work. Our work is a vital place that we can live our faith out. It's not meant to be separated off by itself. You see, what we learn at church on Sunday morning should be applicable to our lives all week long. Jesus should be a part of the whole pie, not just a small slice out of it. Now, did you know the word spiritual is actually not even found in the entire Hebrew language? Now, Hebrew is the language that the Old Testament is written in. And so from Genesis to Malachi, about two-thirds of the Bible, that whole chunk, the word spiritual, is never found once. So you might say, well, why is that? Well, it's because all of life is spiritual. If you read the Torah, which is the first five books of the Old Testament, it covers basically every part of life, down to the minutia. It talks about how to make clothes. It talks about civil government. It talks about building your house. It talks about commerce and cooking. Now, what does that tell us? that every single detail of our lives matters to God. How you speak, how you act, how you think, how you mow your yard, what you put into your body, and certainly your work matters to God. You see, your work and your faith should be inseparable because what you do really matters. Now, I want to take a look at what the Apostle Paul said in the book of Colossians chapter 3. What he says to us is this, whatever you do, okay, again, there's that phrase, whatever you do, it doesn't matter if you are working at a car dealership, if you are a financial planner, if you work in an office building, or you work in a store, or you work from home, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving Again, whatever you do, it's pretty comprehensive. It's, there's no footnote that says, accept the things that you despise doing or the things that you wish weren't in your job description. No, whatever you do. Now, we need to understand the context for, for this writing. Paul is writing specifically to slaves and servants, which sounds pretty jarring to us today in our culture But in the first century, this was pretty common. Now, slavery in the first century was much more like indentured servitude. You could be bought out by someone else, or you could buy your way out. But as we consider Paul's words, imagine all of the things that a slave or a servant would have had to do in the first century. Their masters could basically ask them to do anything, from caring for their kids, to working in the fields, to shoveling manure, to managing money, to watching over their property. Now the same attitude that Paul tells them about applies to us because we are servants of the living God. So whatever you do, wherever you volunteer, whoever you meet with or teach, whatever you write, whatever you sell, whatever classes you attend, whatever homework you do, whatever mess you have to clean up, whatever parenting challenge you have on that particular day. Paul goes on to say, work at it with all of your heart. Now that phrase, with all your heart, biblically means your whole self, your whole person, all of who you are. It's the same way that we are told to love God with our heart. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's really the language of worship. Our work can actually be worship to God. Now, to worship means to ascribe worth or importance, it means to glorify and exalt. And so when we serve our bosses and our customers and our coworkers with the same devotion and the same passion that we serve God, it actually brings him glory and it connects us to his heart and to his mission. You know, who are the people or what are the situations that God has put right in front of you at your workplace or in your home or in your neighborhood where you can represent and serve God as an act of worship. Work at it with all your heart. And then Paul says, it is Jesus you are serving. Jesus is your most important boss. Use the gifts and the talents and the personality, the way that he's wired you up to work for him. Glorify him with how you work. Now, Jesus invites us to be a part of the work that he started, to join him in his mission. And this isn't just for the weekends. It's not just for our free time. It's something that can be done wherever our work takes us. In Matthew chapter 20, Jesus gives us a vision For work. And he sets out what I call a Jesus work ethic. There's this great story because James and John, two of the disciples, their mother comes to meet with Jesus. And you can imagine them thinking, mom, don't embarrass us. So she comes and she meets with Jesus and she says, Jesus, can you give my sons a promotion? Can you give them a raise? They want a better title. They need a better seat, not just for now but for eternity. She's saying, Jesus, I want my boys to be COO and CFO in your kingdom. I want you to give them the best seats at the boardroom table. But here's Jesus' response in Matthew 20, starting with verse 26. He says, whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you Must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is Jesus' own vision statement for his life and for his work, and he invites you and me into that kind of life. See, Jesus is saying all of life is about serving others. No matter what you do, no matter how you spend your time, find ways to serve others, just like Jesus showed us again and again. Jesus came into our world to serve and to care and to provide exactly what we need. Now, Jesus' work led him to the cross, And he died, he paid the penalty for your sin and mine so that we could be free, so that we could have new life as a free gift of grace. And now he calls us into that same type of life, giving away what we have for others, giving away our life on behalf of others. You know, every one of us should approach our work as a ministry, as an opportunity to serve others. Now, just like Jesus had a clear vision statement for his work, I think maybe we should have the same thing. Something to remind us that what we do matters. To keep us from getting off course, from running in the wrong direction, to buying into those lies that we're often told about our work. I think if we could stay focused on Jesus's vision for work, it could change our attitude and our outlook from day to day. It could make our 90,000 hours so much more fruitful and fulfilling. And so I want to challenge you this week to write your own vision statement for work. And to do this, I would invite you to complete this sentence. At my work, I serve Jesus and people by, and fill in the blank. Maybe you need to sit down with a pad of paper, maybe spend some time in prayer. But consider where you are called to be right now, today, where you are spending your time, and then consider this statement, at my work, I serve Jesus and people by fill in the blank. And if you say something like, but all I do is sell cars. Well, you might say at work, I serve Jesus and people by helping people get where they need to be. Maybe you work in IT. At work, I serve Jesus and people by help, helping people stay connected day to day. Maybe you work in construction At work, I serve Jesus and people by giving people a safe place to live or to work or to shop or to drive. Maybe you're retired. I serve Jesus and people by finding ways to show God's love through volunteering. Maybe you're a stay-home mom or dad. I serve Jesus and people by raising my children to know Jesus and to live his way. See your work is so much more important than a paycheck. You have 90,000 hours to make an impact in other people's lives. Whether it's customers, coworkers, vendors, students, family members. Remember every single one of them was created in God's image, even the ones who get on your nerves. Now remember, Genesis tells us our work is going to be frustrating. It's going to be hard. It's going to be complicated. But it doesn't need to be pointless or purposeless or insignificant. See, when you approach work Jesus' way, it can bring you amazing purpose, inspiration, and impact. Well, finally, in Colossians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul says this, you will receive an inheritance now the thing about an inheritance is it takes a long time to receive you don't get it immediately there's waiting that takes place and we live in a world that is all about instant gratification where's my bonus where's my promotion where's my recognition i want it right now where's the justice and all the hardships and frustrations, and agony that I have to put up with right now in my job. But Paul is reminding us we have a real inheritance, not just some paltry sum of money. Our inheritance actually comes from the creator of the entire universe. Our inheritance tells us that we have access to everything that is his, What do you have to do to get in on this incredible inheritance? Simply put your trust in Jesus. Be adopted into his family. Receive a place on his team. So whatever you do, whatever job you have, whatever role you have, whatever calling you are pursuing, work at it like Jesus is your boss. Like he's the one doing your review. Don't get caught up in the thinking that says, but I just do drywall. I just do IT. I just drive a truck. I just manage investments. I just stay at home with the kids. I just work in sales. Whatever you do, you can work at it with all of your heart and reflect Jesus's vision and values. Now, the Bible gives us one more powerful image, and that image is of our final performance review. You see, every one of us will stand before God one day and will be asked to give an account for our life, including our work. And you see, when we live in faith, when we trust Jesus, when we accept his gift of grace, and then we live out his vision for life and work, well, then we'll hear God say these amazing words. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. I don't know if it gets any better than that. And so, church, what you do matters. Let's receive Jesus' vision for our work. No matter what we do, let's find ways to serve others in his name. Let's pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks for the gift of work, for the meaning, the purpose, the impact that we can make through it. God, help us to remember your true intention. Help us to remember your vision, which is to serve others in your name. Help us to see how we can do that wherever you have called us to be. Help us to find ways to shine our light for you, to share your love with others. God, we're thankful that you are a God of grace, that you are a God of love, that you are a God of peace, and that because of you, all that we do really matters. And so, God, we pray these things in your powerful name, and we all say together, amen.